I said good day, sir. You don't ever plan anything around the eagles because the eagles represent the grace of God. Okay. You heathen bastards. What a vanilla nebbish name. Well, you know, orcs are people too. I'm thinking of that one cult that got taken out with one punch. So he's got a wall, okay. a gall, a gall, and a wall. Every time you mention the eagles, I think Don Henley. <laughs>History of Time, where we connect nerdery to the real world. I'm Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history teacher and an English teacher one-fifth of my day uh, here in Northern California and the father of a uh, now little over two-year-old little boy Ooh. who uh, I, I was very proud uh, to see that um, earlier this afternoon when I got home mm -hmm. uh, he picked up the wooden toy sword that we got for him at a, at a Scottish festival earlier uh, this school year and uh, he did a very good job half sorting as he came at me and got me in the calf with it nice and laughed <laughs> and and as a lapsed fencer I mm -hmm. was deeply deeply proud in that moment. <laughs> Who are you, sir? Uh, I'm Damien <clears throat> Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher and part-time history teacher on occasion mm -hmm. uh, here in Northern California as well. A father of two, uh, a 10-year-old who, uh, in our last game, uh, he was invisible and stole the sword out of its scabbard from the big bad evil guy who was attacking my daughter, who's seven and a half. Um, and the weapons that the dude had were amazing, and my son stole it and hid it and was over the moon at the fact that he succeeded at that. No kidding. In the final battle. That is some A-plus problem solving right yes. there. My that seven is a wizardly solution <laughs> to what is normally a fighter problem. Yes. So as a graduate of fighter college myself, I, yep. I appreciate that out-of-the-box thinking. And a seven-and-a-half-year-old who has developed a love of the game Mortal Kombat. It's I have, awesome. I have many concerns. Oh, no. Don't worry <laughs> about it. So I taught her that the, the best part is, is that like you can switch styles. Right, okay. so this Mortal Kombat Deception—it's—it's it's from okay. a while back. Okay. Um, I think it's back when Xbox was still Xbox. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Right. Um, and I mean, I was still teaching at a charter school. So okay. This yeah. Is this is a while prior back. to yeah. yeah. This is yeah uh, a few the dark times administrations ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, she really liked because uh, she was holding up a stick, and I was like, oh, that's a that's a Joe stick. That's not that's not a quarter staff. And she said, well, what's that? And I said, oh, it's like what this character uses. Said, Who's that? I'm like, oh, let's go check him out. And I showed her Bo Rai Cho. And uh, then I was like, look, if you switch through his styles, you'll see he does sumo and drunken fist. And she's like, oh, like the Jackie Chan movie. I was like, that's right. Uh, and then she, uh, and then. I know you're an atheist, but I got to yeah. say you're doing God's work. So. <laughs> that works. That's that's why God made atheists. All right. Yeah, well, true. So, yeah. But, yeah, that's. that's Think uh, what an atheist would do in your place and then do that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so she was really digging the, the multiple styles and nice. she's really getting into, uh, into that as a game. Very cool. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, right. it's fun exploring, uh, video games with my kids. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know the right age. I was five when I saw Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> so you're, 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 I don't know the right age to show yeah. my kids Conan. I'm, I'm it's not yet. say not yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm. Having knowing knowing your kids mm -hmm. to the extent I know, mm -hmm. having met your kids a few times, mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm going to say I think Julia. Well, obviously Julia is the more precocious of the two of them, mm -hmm. but I still don't think I'd show it to her first. Right. I, I think, bec and we're going to talk about it. Might be this episode. It might be the next one. But the mm -hmm. the, the themes of the movie. You might want to wait. Yeah, a little while. I I, I would agree. Um. Yeah. I'd, so. I'd say I'd say at least adolescence. Yeah. At least. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um. You know. I mean. Yeah. I'm. I'm. We're we're both children of the '80s and '90s, and so. So we watched stuff. We way watched too stuff early. Way too early. Yeah. As soon so. as as soon as it could get 
gotten from the rental store, yeah, we ended we, up seeing we, it. We yeah. wound up having it, yeah. So, but so speaking of Conan, speaking of Conan, last episode, last episode, we were uh, of course talking about uh, you know the roots of the character, right? How the character was so popular, why right. why Conan is the creation of his of Howard's that mm-hmm. that has lasted so long compared to, you know, Sailor Steve Costigan, who like nobody if I mention that I'm as as a low key mm-hmm. Robert E. Howard nerd. Sure. I know that name. Mm-hmm. Not because I've read I haven't read any of those stories, but I know that name because sure. I know about Howard and his work. If I mention that name to anybody who's not a deep geek. Oh yeah, they have no idea who the hell I'm talking about. Yeah, like, I, I couldn't have told you. Sailor, what? Yeah, Sa- Sailor Bob, what? Right, what? Huh? You know, and I, and you mentioned Red Sonia, mm-hmm. and they immediately think of uh, Mrs. Sylvester Stallone. I'm forgetting her uh, name right Brigitte now. Nielsen. Brigitte Nielsen. Yeah, I wanted to say Famke Jansen. I knew I was wrong. Yeah, Bruce, they think of Brigitte Nielsen with with a mullet. You know, in the in, yes. the, in the 80s movie. Yes. Um and and like. No, I'm talking about the Robert E. Howard character who you looked up mm-hmm. who the mercenary who who the historical yeah. figure was that inspired her, and it's important that we note that. Yeah, it's Roxolana, uh the uh the Ruthenian uh harem girl who uh married um an Ottoman Sultan. Yeah. Uh, Suleiman the Magnificent. Yes. She married him. Yeah. So apparently she was a badass. Yes. 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 So getting getting back to talking about Conan and the character mm-hmm. and, and Howard, we were mm-hmm. talking about, uh, you know, why why this character had the appeal that he did. We mm-hmm. were talking about how, you know, the Frazetta covers, if you just look at the covers of those books, that Conan, mm-hmm. that, that visual Conan embodies strength. He embodies this masculine ideal. Right. He's, he's a superhero figure. He is a Superman and he is, again, my thesis, he's the id to the superego represented by Superman. Right. From roughly the same time period. Both of them being these figures of escapism. Both of them mm-hmm. being these figures of wish fulfillment. Right. But one of them is Dudley Do-Right of the Mounties with superpowers. And right. the other one is a cynical, bloody, I cannot emphasize enough the bloody, uh-huh. uh, sellsword and burglar you know right i mean i mean you, you look you look at him from a moral angle and and they are they they could not be more opposite mm-hmm. but it's not that conan is evil conan is simply amoral let me ask like you this his code of honor has nothing to do with his code of honor is based around strength it's right. you know look you have this thing you're not using this thing mm-hmm. but you want to hold on to it i need that thing so i can pay for food right and so I am faster than you are, and I think I'm more cunning than you are. Right. So I'm going to take it. Let me ask you this. Okay. Um, the author for Conan. Yes. Howard. Yeah. Born and raised on the frontier. Yep. In Texas. Yes. Uh, had a father who was a, in some ways, a schemer. Yeah. Um, deeply devoted to his mother, as you'd said. Yep. Living in a place that is, quite frankly, hyper-racist at that time. Yes. Um, and that's Immen- just... Immensely. Yeah. And and uh, <clears throat> it's just baked into the culture there. Yeah. Okay? Then you have the guys who created Superman. Yeah. Hyper-urban. Hyper-urban. Themselves, Jewish, themselves minority, yeah, Jewish. Themselves immigrants. Themselves immigrants. One of whom whose father was killed in a robbery. Yes. Hence the bulletproof man. Yeah. Um, you have a cultural difference there. You have a regional difference there. You have a religious difference there. You have Superman who sticks to the Ten Commandments, whatever they are for Superman. Yeah. Um, and you have this other guy who is amoral, which is essentially the Ten Commandments of West Texas. Yeah. What? Yeah. You can do it? Oh, you can have it. Like, yeah. it's that. Yeah. So... Uh, am I off in this analysis? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. I'm gonna. I'm about to get into it. Oh, as a cool. Of fact. Sorry to steal. So your no, 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 yeah. no. Because the thing is, um, the Co- Howard's Conan stories mm-hmm. at the end of it all, and and he write he wrote to. I'm, I'm about to use the literary present tense, but we're talking about letters, so I, mm-hmm. I shouldn't. But he, but he wrote to Lovecraft. Remember, in the Lovecraft circle, 
and and this is where we need we need to talk about their I, I talked about them having this uh-huh. dramatically different paradigm of like how the universe worked right um and and howard believed in barbarian virtue and civilization being a decadent corrupting force oh wow that's so opposite of yeah yeah utterly utterly reversed from from i'm forgetting their names the creators of superman Mm -hmm. siegel and schuster yes I knew Schuster was in there, but I couldn't remember. And I wanted to say Had Simon to and Schuster, yeah, but that but, wasn't no, right. No, it's wrong. Yeah. But, but Siegel and Schuster mm-hmm. were, were urbanites. Yes. Like like New York, or like can't get more urban. The very civilization that this guy disdains. That, that this guy disdains. Right. And, and what's interesting is Lovecraft mm-hmm. was also in the Northeast, mm-hmm. although, you know, Massachusetts. And oh, that makes was, so much sense, too. And he was uh-huh. a... a kind of blue blood descendant of of pilgrim families okay and his whole outlook was man is by nature desperately desperately chaotic and violent and unpredictable and it is only civilization that prevents us all from destroying everything god that's so pilgrim oh oh it is it is it is so immensely puritan yeah so desperately desperately calvinist yes it's so calvinist it fucking hurts like oh my god yeah and so the funny thing is i mean these guys genuinely were you know ride or die best Mm -hmm. friends Uh who had never met in real life but they they had this intense bond over the craft of writing and the stuff they were creating oh wow and and they they had a diametrically opposed view mm-hmm. of of the nature of humanity and the basic role of civilization, and so the thing is, you know, you got you got to look at where it is they're coming from. Like I said, Lovecraft mm-hmm. is in the Northeast in in this you know Puritan stronghold wow. where all of the culture was the forest is evil, right? The forest is chaotic. You beat the, back it's, the it's devil. Primeval. You got to yeah. beat back. Yeah, you got to beat back the devil. Mm-hmm. You got to carve civilization out of the benighted wilderness. Protestant as hell. Desperately Protestant. And and like you said, Calvinist Protestant. <sighs> yeah, like okay. hard, like. We we don't think the other Protestants are sufficiently Protestant, like, right? Like yeah, the church, yeah. the Church of England is a new Babylon. Like yes, yeah, they're too warm and fuzzy. They're they're too warm and fuzzy, <laughs> and and they we're going to leave so we can cut off each other's hands. Yes, and they play instruments in church, right? And that's just decadent, right? Right? Like, yeah, what? Yeah. So yeah, and and so that's where that's that's the the cultural background that Lovecraft is coming from. So you've got the the and then and then. <laughs> And then on the other end, in, yeah. in literally, I mean, essentially the other the other end of the country, yeah, the you, asset. you have, yeah, you, you have you have Howard, and and Howard believed that that civilization, like I said, was a decadent, corrupting force because mm-hmm. he was in Cross Plains right when the oil boom hit, right. The town's population mushroomed sure. overnight. It like I remember the statistics. It 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 exploded. Mm-hmm. And so what what happened in Cross Plains was it became crowded. It became busy. It became impersonal. And a whole bunch of soft-handed business types right. showed up to make money off of the labor of roughnecks and the blue-collar frontier types mm-hmm. that had been there before and who showed up. To do all the labor that was involved right. in getting the crude out of the ground. So you've got the the literary equivalent of uh, a priest, a rabbi, and a minister. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> with these three guys, with, with these with, with this, with this troika, with this yeah. triad we've created. Yeah. If I had if I had thought more about the id versus super ego, yeah. versus Superman thing. I'd, I'd have spent more time looking at Siegel and Schuster, mm-hmm. but that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, no, you're totally correct. Oh wow. Okay. Um, and actually, and actually, now that we have that figured out, here's uh-huh. what I'm going to say. Um, in, in terms of the writers, uh-huh. Siegel and Schuster are ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lovecraft is super, super ego, ego, and yeah. Howard is all all id, id. yeah, all it all the time. Yeah. And so. Uh, to a reader in the 1930s, mm-hmm. this distrust of civilizations could easily be mapped onto a distrust of corporations, investors, oh, yeah. banks. Yep. To a reader in the 70s, mm-hmm. this could really easily be mapped onto a distrust of foreigners, 
oil cartels, and the Soviet menace. Oh, I thought you were going to say corporations, yeah, Wall well, Street, banks. True. But, you know, it all just yeah, kind of wraps. Yeah, but, but more but immediately. Yes, 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 yes. You know. Um, and then Howard also saw violence as being a critical part of life. Mm-hmm. For him, violence was an inextricable vital force. Mm-hmm. The struggle involved in violence gave life meaning and gave it value uh-huh. to him. Well, even the very active oil derricks, you are you are punching stabbing a the hole earth in the ground, so it bleeds. Yeah, and then you live off of that blood. Yeah, that is yeah yeah. He 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 saw violence as a primal thrill and a defining aspect of masculine virtue. Mm-hmm. And now we get back to what I mentioned briefly, talking about Hemingway. Mm-hmm. Hemingway, having been forced to to you know be girlified by his mother longer than was normal for the right. time period uh had had this, this and it was internal, normal for the time period it was it was normal for the time period yes. but his mother overdid it sure and and so he had this reaction of having to be he put this immense pressure on himself to right. be the character that we know Hemingway to be and then he started getting old and his body started falling apart and he couldn't be that anymore and he was also depressed and an alcoholic. Right. And that led to him taking his life. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's there's grist for the mill there to talk about Howard also mm-hmm. having these really profound ideas about, about masculinity and all this. And, and having this very, very fierce but brittle kind of, kind of front. And then when he suffered this incredible shock mm-hmm. of finding out that his mother, who was the emotional center of his life, was just was never going to wake up. You know, that was the trigger that, that right. led to him ending his own life. And so Howard, talking about this, this these ideas about violence, he, he was a boxer. This is where he got the inspiration for Sailor Steve Costigan was he, okay. he was a boxer. He was an amateur boxer. And he wrote to Lovecraft. I've got a, I've got a long quote here from a letter he wrote to Lovecraft about a boxing match he'd fought in. A bare knuckle boxing match oh jesus yeah like like let's talk about toxic toxic masculinity for a second yeah yeah so this this is him writing to lovecraft looking back over a none too lengthy and prosaic life i can easily pick out what seemed and still seems the peak of my life to date that is the point at which i derived the highest thrills a word which my limited vocabulary causes me to overwork When I look for the peak of my exultation, I find it on a sweltering, breathless midnight when I fought a black-haired tiger of an Oklahoma drifter in an abandoned (laughs) ice vault in a stifling atmosphere laden with tobacco smoke and the reek of sweat and rot-gut whiskey and blood with a gang of cursing, blaspheming, oil-field roughnecks for an audience. Even now, the memory of that battle stirs the sluggish blood in my fat-laden tissues. There was nothing about it calculated to advance art, science, or anything else. It was a bloody, brutal, merciless brawl. We fought for fully an hour until neither of us could fight for any longer, and we reeled against each other, gasping incoherent curses through battered lips. There was not even an excuse for it. We were fighting not because there was a quarrel between us, but simply to see who was the best man. Yet I repeat that I get more pleasure, more real pleasure out of remembering that fight than I could possibly get out of contemplating the greatest work of art ever accomplished or seeing the greatest drama ever enacted or hearing the greatest song ever sung. Robert E. Howard writing to H.P. Lovecraft, September 22nd, 1932. Okay, I I gotta say, um, everything that you just read sounds exactly like the Futurist Manifesto. I don't yeah. know. Have you read that? I haven't. So but, there's, but I there's know, this... I know, I, I know the, I know the points. Yeah. yeah. The the artist talks about he's driving a car and it's 1910, right? Yeah. And he's laying well, that's out pre World War One. Yeah. World War One killed them all off. Yeah, exactly. As you pointed out, every time we futurism <laughs> come up, yeah. But uh, he uh, and oh, there's a wonderful story about futurism in a cartoon that my kids and I watched. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but he's laying out on a car at, at night and he decides to go speeding. And I assume speeding is like 25 miles an hour um, because it's 1910. Uh, 1910, it might be as high as 40. Okay. But cool. okay. But he goes speeding. He <clears throat> falls into a, and he talks about like the the smokestacks that are um, 
snakes are coming down to kiss from the clouds. Oh wow! Right. Yeah, yeah. And he talks about how you know he's high he lays romantic language. Very. Yeah. Um, and he crashes into a pit, a, a a drainage pit, an industrial waste drainage pit, and he climbs out. And he talks about how the 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 pipes on the car are these wonderful things that course power through it and how like after he gets out of the crash he just feels so fucking good uh, and i'm adrenaline is a hell of a drug and he's just yeah. covered in sewage and and, and raw and waste, waste. Of, of, yeah you know and he talks about how there's nothing so beautiful as this car and he's like you dare compare the champs Elysees with it or whatever yeah, thing yeah, it was yeah. and he says you know we should destroy all the museums we should do all this and so it's this you know, this comparison of this great art, nothing compared to this machine that represents to the, to the, the future. To the thrill of, yeah. Right. And, and, and he says, like, we sing the the virtue of the fisticuff, he even says, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, well, this is, yeah, Howard this, must have been jerking off to that. I'm sure. If, if, he, ever, if he ever read or if Futurism he, or if he was going to say, if yeah, he ever yeah, jerked he, off. Yeah. You know, it's actually a standing question whether or not he did. He yeah, he was seems a little incelly, to be honest. Uh no, he had okay. he had he dated. Oh, he did. He okay. did. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's actually I I have only seen bits of it, but there's a there's there was a movie made that was a biopic of him. Oh. That was about the like year and a half mm-hmm. that he was in a relationship with with a woman. Okay. And about their their the the tempestuous nature of that relationship because of you know his being hung up on his mother and mm-hmm. you know him him being the the you know outsized kind of character that he was. So going so far as to say incel might be a bit okay much, too much, but but he he was prudish. Okay, he he had he had quite the appetite for. Uh, well, actually, prudish might be the wrong word. He he had some hangups. Okay, be a better way to put it. And and yeah. Um. Ooh, ooh. So yeah. just real quick, the, yeah. the futurist manifesto. Yeah. Um. It, the it's several articles, like article yeah, one yeah. through ten. Um. In article ten. We want to demolish museums and libraries. Fight morality, feminism, and all opportunists and utilitarian cowardice. Wow. They say that. In Article Nine, they define war as being a necessary thing for like the health of the spirit, and the purification that war allows uh, helps idealism. And yeah. they uh, they talk about the hygienic properties um, of glorification of war, mm-hmm. which absolutely <clears throat> takes you direct line to fascism. Oh yeah, uh, and it was a man named Marinetti that was uh, okay. That was what, what of it was. Of course, it was a guy. Yeah. Of course, it was an Italian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. very much so. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> Filippo Tommaso for, for, Marinetti. For, for, for a variety of reasons, it, yeah. it kind of had to be an Italian. Either, either an, Italian, <laughs> an Italian or a Spaniard. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Anyway, go on. Go on. So, yes. so the violence in those stories yes. is cathartic, is an immensely cathartic for the reader. Mm-hmm. Especially tied to Howard's energetic prose, which mm-hmm. I've already quoted. And it creates an outlet for the reader's latent frustrations in times like the 30s and the 70s mm-hmm. that held a really potent appeal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, um, I'm glad that you brought up futurism. Okay. Because most people never are. Yeah. Well, most people. To be fair. In this context. Yeah. To be I'm fair, they're usually did. saying, like, sir, this is a Pete's. <laughs> so, That's good. You know. <laughs> nice, nice Thank twist you. on that meme. Thank you. I like that. Uh, <laughs> So, but but there is there is a really powerful mm-hmm. Darwinist underpinning to all of this. Darwinist or eugenicist? Um, or like, are we talking talking like Herbert Spencer type shit? I'm not. I don't okay. think. I don't think it's, okay. it's Herbert Spencer. But it is. It is Darwinist. It okay. is. It is struggle. It is okay. Fittest organism. Okay. You know, it is nature, it red is, and tooth na- and claw. Nature, nature that's brilliant. Tennyson, yes, yes, Tennyson's, yeah. Tennyson's description. It is the nature of man okay. is just as red as the nature of everything else. Okay, and, gotcha. And gotcha. it revels in the in the id. It you know the, these these stories are wrapped up in mm-hmm. in in many of the later ones. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a funny note. The early the early published stories, mm-hmm. not not the ones that happened early in Conan's life, but the mm-hmm. ones that are they're published earlier, 
there are not very many female characters. It's all very, you know, Conan fighting with other dudes. Right. You know, getting hired by other dudes. You know, all, 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 of, all of the major characters, with the exception of the Frost Giant's daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume she's a MacGuffin. Basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who nearly gets him killed. It's, it's actually, it's, it's a wonder, for a, for a very short, mm-hmm. very violent fantasy story. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Okay. Like, if, uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, but uh, he he the early stories don't don't involve a lot of that. The later stories, mm-hmm. you start seeing there's always some you know, uh, buxom, lithe, sure. you know, girl. Yeah. You know, woman. Uh, and the reason for that. Mm-hmm. Is because if your story got featured on the cover of the magazine. You got got paid a bonus. And one of the surest ways to get your story on the cover of the magazine was have a girl in it. Right. That could be put on the cover of the magazine nearly naked. H.P. Lovecraft Uh was a prude. And and we know from his Uh correspondence and his complaints to the editors of Weird Tales and a bunch (laughs) of other things... He used to he used to pull the cover he used to take the covers off of his copies of Weird Tales wow. because he was scandalized by the cheesecake. Now, of course, printing standards in the 30s were different than they are now, and they got away with some stuff that you wouldn't see on a mainstream mm-hmm. science fiction magazine anymore. But yeah, he was he was just like <laughs> Lovecraft might have been an incel. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, I mean, without the misogyny, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think he was necessarily like hateful of women. Right. I'm sure. I'm sure there's there's a more educated Lovecraft scholar who would probably tell me, oh yeah, no, he was a total misogynist because he was a complete racist. Mm-hmm. Like, arguably, he was more racist than Howard, mm-hmm. and they were both really racist. Mm-hmm. Uh, the depiction of of essentially Africans in in the Conan stories uh-huh. is. Is it does not age well. It's a product it is, of its time. It is bad. It is a product of its time, which was it, a really it, racist it, time. Which was a really racist time in all the worst ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Lovecraft also foreigners, especially Lovecraft, really had yellow peril really badly. Uh-huh. And anybody from the Orient was automatically shifty and weird. Interesting. And, okay. Um, but but yeah, and and um, <laughs> there's there's actually there's. I guess you'd call it a meme now. Somebody actually had had a post on on Twitter talking about Lovecraft, mm-hmm. and and they said, you know, um, it, it really ruined things for me when I found out how racist Lovecraft was. Um, ask me the name of Lovecraft's cat. I dare you. Oh, ask yeah. me what Lovecraft named his cat. Yeah, I remember. For the that. audience at home, I'm not going to tell you what he named his cat, but his cat was black. Lovecraft was a racist in the 30s. Yeah. Do the math. So, so there's 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 there are underpinnings of all of this mm-hmm. that are that that do sync up with oh, yeah. futurist ideas about about struggle. But like you said in the mm-hmm. last episode, this wasn't just a far right or far left thing. It was everybody yes. had this idea about vitality. Everybody was was into this Dar- Darwinist. That's the reason I say Darwinist mm-hmm. because it was this idea that struggle okay. is, is and, vit- and and vitality and especially mm-hmm. masculine vitality mm-hmm. was this virtue in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And that's. And, and so the, the central theme of Howard's stuff mm-hmm. is this idea that barbarism and and the frontier and wildness and man in his natural state mm-hmm. is virile and vital and active and thus virtuous, mm-hmm. you know, by sure. that math. Right, right. Well, and then, and then on the other side, mm-hmm. when you bring in civilization, you bring in all these tools that allow weaker people... To get one over on you and get dominion through money and through, you know, institutional power, right? And like the church, the church of Set in Stygia, right. yeah. in, in the Conan stories, is this edifice that allows you know the cult, right? Who are, who are all you know weak, the weak people book, who book have, people yeah. who are able to you know, 
and you know who who control everybody with you know hypnotism and mesmerism and sorcery and you know feminine yeah yeah thing. Yeah. yeah like like there's a real yin yang yeah you know so I, yin, I, yin in this case being westernized into darkness right. and evil as opposed to the eastern which is just no no it's the receptive force it's it's you know right. shadow light you know i i would like to uh break in for just a second yeah. oh, because yeah. caesar wrote in in the the gallic wars he's attacking celtic peoples yes uh Chimerians. yep Sumerians, uh, Chimer- i've never figured out which one is right anyway. so well in the in the movie they called him sumerian but they spell it with C. Yeah. That's weird. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. he's Caesar's attacking him. And in the very first book, all of Gaul is divided into three parts. Okay? Yes. Uh, you've got uh, the, the middle part, which is the Celts. And, and, yeah. Or is the Gauls. In their language, they call themselves the Celts. Um, to the north of them, you have this group of people at the Bell Guy. Yeah. And they are uh, the... Uh, I don't think he calls them barbarians in that particular book. But he calls them like the strongest... Uh, and the the best at fighting because they are the furthest away from our civilization, and therefore they don't have access to the things that effeminate the mind like we do with our culture. He says that about Roman culture, mm-hmm. um, and he well, you know, we we have we 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 civilized people. Civilized right. people in quotes have right. this, have have all these conveniences yes. and all these luxuries and that makes us soft. Right. Well, Caesar's writing and, and about that. I mean, that. this this is a theme. I mean, he's, he's writing about everybody. it two thousand plus years yeah. ago. But what's interesting? I mean, he's setting them up as the people he's going to whoop their ass in. A bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, anyway. Yeah. But and they're always <laughs> fighting against each other. Yeah. And if they're not fighting against each other, they're fighting against their neighbors. Like he he brings yeah. that up. But what I find interesting is that uh, there's this word. It's virtus in Latin. Okay? Yeah. And it means. It, it translates very poorly into English. A lot of people are like, oh, it means virtue. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Because our idea of virtue is, is very different than the Roman idea of virtue. It we means, stole the word. Yeah. And then we made we, it, we different made it into something different. Yeah. Which um, we do with everything. It, it means uh, manliness. But mm-hmm. it's all the good things of manliness. But the best part of it, the, the noun itself is a feminine word. Mind blown. It's just weird. Yeah. You know, it really is. A lot of words that are gatherings of men, though, are feminine words. The word for legion, legio, feminine. Uh, the word for battle line, achies, feminine. I believe I could, I might be wrong on that one. Um, I'll look it up in a bit. Uh, the uh, the word for um, uh, a band of fighters, feminine. Yeah. Uh, a lot of your words that have to do with organizing men in some in some way are feminine words. You think that it comes down to a subconscious idea of organization being... Could be. I, Could just weird. be groupings of people. Tend to, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. All right. Um, but most of the words that have to do with the mob and stuff like that. Feminine, okay. Multitudino. Okay. Uh, turba. All of these words. Uh, feminine. Weird. Yeah. That is really strange. Yeah. So um, it's also, I think, worth noting here mm-hmm. that... Um, Unfortunately, mm-hmm. because of the racist subtext mm-hmm. of of Howard's work, mm-hmm. um, it has been fully co-opted in some cases mm-hmm. by racists. Oh, I bet. Uh, there is there is a theory of the the settlement of North America. Mm-hmm. That like nobody with a scientific background gives it any credence. It's it's pie in the sky fairy story bullshit. Mm-hmm. But there is there is this this theory, and I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, and I unfortunately didn't have time to research it while I was looking this up. But mm-hmm. it posits that early proto-Celtic peoples mm-hmm. crossed from proto-Europe mm-hmm. to North America. And, and this theory mm-hmm. refers to them as coming from Sumeria. They name they okay. name this proto, not quite Celtic, right. northern but white people right. land because that's the important thing to them. Yeah, like, that whites never, were never, the first. Never never mind the fact that like whiteness itself is like an artificial construct of the nineteenth mm-hmm. century, eighteenth century. No, no, yeah. no, no. But but like white people were here first, right? Like. We have all the data. Like, like there is evidence. a mountain of evidence mm-hmm. that, like, no, you're completely wrong. Mm-hmm. 
but who cares? Right. Got to, you know, for for the sake of our myth and our fragile white identity, we got to make sure that we were first at everything. Right. You know, never mind the fact that, I mean, let's be honest, we, we run the world and we've done a shitty job of it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not enough for you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, speaking as a middle-aged cishet white guy, like, right. like really? Like, what What more do you fucking need? Yeah, your mediocrity is... Your mediocrity you. is yeah. staggering. Speaking like of Rome. Yes. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah, medium talent. Um, <laughs> I, I keep going back to that. Yeah. Um, but, so anyway... Wow, Rome is the Chevy Chase of the of, ancient of, world. Of the ancient world. Yeah. Really, you know... One note pony. Yeah. One note, you could say it, yeah. Wow. Um, I, I think I think that, that holds water. But um, you know, and and so so there there is uh-huh. as as a fan of his work, as somebody who, like you say, sinks into the page anytime sure. I open up what he, what he's written. There there are those moments where, you know, you run into that jarring like oh right oh that oh Bobby here's, here's the ugly side oh, of masculinity oh Bobby yeah oh Bobby no yeah you know like. <laughs> Why? Why did you? Why we were did you all having such we a were good all, time. We were having. We were all having a good time. <laughs> yeah, and and so now mm-hmm. I'm going to take a hard right turn. Okay, because we got to talk about Ronald Reagan for a second. Oh, that's a hard right turn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see what I did there. Yeah, I do now because uh, now we're we're talking about the, the Zitgeist because because we've gotten we've taken Conan from his birth in the 30s mm-hmm. through the 70s. And why it is that folks in the 70s and the 30s were, were eager to read these stories. Uh-huh. So now we're getting close to actually talking about the movie. Okay. Uh, and so now we got to talk about Ronnie Reagan. And I'm not going to lavish as much time on Reagan's biography as I did on Howard because it's less important to my thesis. But mm-hmm. it's important to know a few basics. Mm-hmm. He was born in Illinois in 1911. Yes. He graduated college in 1932, worked as a radio announcer for the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> worked as a fake announcer for yes. the Chicago Cubs. Yes, yes. He made up the play-by-play based on the summaries he was getting over the right. wire. Yes. Uh, now, while working for the Cubs... I, just, I bring that up yeah. because he regularly fakes shit. Oh, yeah. yeah okay, okay. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Misrepresents what he actually does. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so so, um, speaking of his bakery, me me putting it that way was me engaging in shorthand. Sure, sure. The the source, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I've got a hard on for Reagan uh, or against him. Really, (laughs) hate you have a hate on. Yes, you you have a hate boner. Cannot stand that fucking. I hate boner. boner. I do for Reagan. I have a honer. Yeah, and. And so uh, I'm going to keep interjecting. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready yeah, yeah. for it. Yeah. So uh, he, while working for the Cubs organization, yes. he came out to California and in 1937. He got a contract with Warner Brothers. He convinced them that he should follow the Cubs to Catalina Island because that's where they had spring training. Yeah. And he convinced them that, well, because I do the play-by-play for you, which nobody checked his facts there. As as people are wont to do with him, he was he, he convinced was a him. He's salesman. A, yes, I mean, he was. Yes, he was. Uh, yeah, because of that, he got to go out to L.A. because he knew that he wanted to go into Hollywood. It was not him falling over backward. It was this is my goal, oh, yeah. and this is how I'm going to do it. Oh yeah, and he got the Cubs to pay for it. Well, yeah, yeah. I well, mean, if you can, right? Yeah, you know. Yeah. So so yeah, he's his he contracted to Warner Brothers. Yeah. this is true. So in '39, he mm-hmm. was in Dark Victory with Betty Davis. Yes. In 1940, he was in Santa Fe Trail with mm-hmm. Errol Flynn. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come back to that. Yep. And in 42, mm-hmm. he gained wide attention for the role he played in King's Row, mm-hmm. where he was a double amputee, and mm-hmm. one of his most notable lines was, Where's the Rest of Me? Mm. Which he used as the title of one of his memoirs sure. later on. And now I say 42, mm-hmm. and those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while are know enough about history to go, wait, 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 42? <laughs> yes. Yes, 42. He got called up into the reserves. Yes, he did. And Immediately um, stationed in Hollywood. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so now, now, now we're going to pay you two salaries had, to do he, what you yeah, do. He had poor eyesight. Yes, he did. That, that invalidated him for serving overseas. Mm-hmm. 
He got called up for active reserve duty by the Army mm-hmm. later that year in 42. Yep. And uh, worked for the military doing training films, war bond drives, and right. you know propaganda films. So he becomes the face of a movement that he's not really he's not a part of. Really interesting part of. interesting yeah. thing. Uh, I have this book, and I still have it. And I, I plan on letting my kids read it. Mm-hmm. It's called The Look It Up Book of U.S. Presidents. I may have mentioned it in a oh, previous... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In that, it talks about when he first got glasses, about how the world suddenly seemed clear to him. Because literally, and I don't, I don't have eyesight problems, so it's a privilege uh, that I've got that I, I'm, yeah, yeah. He thought For the those world of you was fuzzy. Listening, listening yeah. at home, I've just taken my glasses off. Yeah, and I have no idea what you can see or can't see, but to Reagan, it was everything was fuzzy, and he put on the glasses, and he was amazed at how sharp the world was. Okay. That's what is told to me in that book that is written for kids. Yeah. None of it about the bullshit and the, the, the fuckery that he did while he was in Hollywood. No. None of it. No. No. Yeah. So um, he became president of the Screen Actors Guild in 1947. Mm-hmm. He served six terms as mm-hmm. SAG president. Uh, he helped secure residuals for actors when TV episodes were run. That or, he did. Or rerun. That he did. He did the same for film actors when movies got adapted to TV. Mm-hmm. And he was always a staunch anti-communist. Yes. He testified before the House Un-American Committee's activity House Un-American Activities Committee. Yep. About SAG, mm-hmm. where they were asking about it, and he said, "Well, yeah, you know, I think there are members who are, you know, trying to push the organization in a direction, and we're trying to." Whatever, and here's whatever. all the names. Yes, he did. Uh, he was an informant for the FBI. Indeed. What I found interesting about it was in doing my research because I knew mm-hmm. kind of that, mm-hmm. uh, but he was conflicted about it. He didn't. He didn't like the way the FBI was going about trying to have them do that. Right. And he was like, "Are they are they going to deputize all of us to do this for him? Like, I mean, is this is this like our second job? Like, mm-hmm. how you know?" And no, Ron, only you only care that much to do care. it. Yeah. So he was a Democrat mm-hmm. through the 1950s. He touted FDR as a personal hero at one point, partly because of how he grew up. His oh, yeah. family needed public assistance. Yes. And uh, Warner Brothers actually mm-hmm. wound up dissuading him from participating in an anti-nuclear. Mm-hmm. At one point. And he got hired by General Electric. Yes. To give motivational speeches to factory workers. Yes. Uh, and in that job, he was heavily influenced by the guy that was doing a lot of his... That was, was feeding him the information to do a lot of his writing. Mm-hmm. It was a guy, an executive by the name of Lemuel Boulware. Now, is this the time at which he was like recording entire albums about how communism is terrible? Like, literally, you could put on a B-side of his speech of how communism was terrible. That might be a little bit later. Okay. Might be a little bit later. Um, but he he got he got hired by this guy, by, by GE, to do this. Mm-hmm. And he was traveling all over the country giving hundreds of speeches a year to, to gatherings of, of, of GE workers. And Bullware, mm-hmm. who, was, who was, you know, giving him... Giving him the inspiration for what he was, what he was writing, and what he was saying, mm-hmm. uh, was a free market, anti-union, low taxes, limited government conservative. And um, so, so Reagan, words, Reagan had always been an anti-communist, right? The speeches that he gave were not overtly anti-union. They were not overtly like he never, he never advocated directly for we need to cut taxes on corporate interests in these speeches Mm -hmm. but they always carried a pro you got to cooperate with management we're all looking out for you you know this is in the interest of your freedom as a worker (laughs) you know i mean sure the 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 insidious kind of shit that we get from from everybody who's always trying to say well you know you know what what is your union what yeah right to right to work Right. You, you have a right to be free about whether or not you want to stay in this job or not. Right. You shouldn't be bound by, you know, <laughs> we have opportunity. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, fuck off. Yeah. But, you know, and, and so this, this clearly fed into his thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, at some point, if we could find a geek way to tie it into something, we can talk about his his weird psychology and mm-hmm. how he turned into the 
patron saint of modern conservatism. Mm -hmm. But suffice to say, he he quit working for GE in order to go into politics. Right. And he's famous for having said, I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The party left me. Mm -hmm. He's full of horse shit for saying it because (laughs) that's not how it went. His ideological drift is really clear. Yep. In 1961, he spoke out against Medicare saying in a recording for the AMA right. that it would mean the end of freedom in America. Right. Calling it socialism and saying, one of these days, you and I are going to spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. And Like, fuck you. Yeah. But yeah. anyway. I mean, of course, we're, we're speaking about this now as, yeah. you know... Two generations later, having yes. grown up with it being the background of, of our political, you know, life. And and enabling life. people to still engage in this beautiful thing called capitalism that he yeah. loved so much. So desperately much. Yes. Uh, speaking so, of capitalism, uh, let's We gotta some shill bills. something. Yeah. All right. Hello Geek Timers, this is producer George interrupting this podcast to let you know that we have space available. This space could be used to promote your product, book, event, group, even wish a special someone happy birthday. If you're interested in using this space, please contact us on Twitter via private message at Geek History Time. And we're back. Yep. So after having sufficiently shilled. Yes. By the way, if you have anything, and I really do mean anything, yeah. that you would like us to to, to push for you, mm-hmm. uh, to pitch, uh, we are happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can contact me at uh, at eh blaylock on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You can also contact me at at eh blaylock on Instagram if oh, you okay. like. Uh, and uh, you can get both of us at once yes. uh, by reaching out to us on Twitter at Geek History Time. Yes. Uh, Damien, if they want to make a separate piece with you, oh, they would reach you at... Uh, at Duh Harmony on both Twitter and on Instagram. So if you're interested at all in buying some space to shill what you need, um, please do because renewal fees uh, cost. Cost something. And, uh, and I mean, we've been entertaining you for uh, nearly 50 episodes now. Yeah, get, uh, getting you know, on there. You know, yeah. you, frankly, uh, it's criminal that you haven't kicked in. Uh, when did you point. start working for NPR? Dude? <laughs> like, holy cow. Tragedy well, of the Commons much? <laughs> Jiminy Christmas. So. And you know, where else in a podcast are you going to hear a couple of nerds like us, and I mean like nerds like us, use a term like Tragedy of the Commons in the True. middle of talking about Conan the Barbarian? That's, uh, you know. Just saying. You're, you, you've you been getting it for free. Yeah. Kick in a couple Time to shuffles. buy the cat. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Something. So. Some analogy like that. So, so anyway, talking about how Reagan yeah. was like swung hard right. Far right, yes. He spoke out against food stamps. Jesus spoke, Christ. He spoke out against the Peace Corps. Of spoke course. out against raising the minimum wage. Joined the NRA and became a lifetime member. Mm-hmm. Now I am going to add one caveat there. Okay. This was before the NRA went batshit crazy. So this is when they were advocating for gun control because black for, people had guns. Well, no, he's the one who advocated for that. And I'm going to get okay. into that when okay. I talk about his okay. time as governor of California. Cool. No, but this was when the NRA was like, you know, you need to have training. And, and we advocate for licensing ah. at the state level. And, you know, hunters right. are our people. But, you know, I, I say all of this, but then he stuck around mm-hmm. after Wayne LaPierre took over the organization. And it went completely bugfuck crazy. Yes. So. Okay. Dad, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but I gotta call him like I see him. But um, also, congratulations on how to use uh, uh, the iPhone to push that purple icon to look up your son's podcast. Well, well yeah, that's yeah, true. You know, yeah, yeah. All right. So he supported Goldwater. Reagan did. Yes. I I don't think my dad did, but Reagan did. Right. Supported Goldwater in '64. Yes. And his speaking on Goldwater's behalf catapulted his political recognition. Yeah. Nationwide, right at the same time that Goldwater was falling, because Goldwater uh, was was nuts, strategically inept 
too, because yeah. like he talked in West Virginia about cutting Social Security to a bunch of old people. Oh yeah, he talked no, he, like he, he kept going to the groups that he's targeting to cutting, and then he's like, "I'm gonna room. talk to you about it." Yeah, like like read a room, oy. dude. Yeah, and then of course he was advocating for using tactical nuclear weapons in Vietnam. Right, like yeah, with China right there. Mm-hmm. With the Soviet Union mm-hmm. just past China, like see, see this is why like, that LBJ what commercial, the hell, yeah, wasn't to me. Yes, it's overblown, and oh my god, that's that's tacky. But I could see why they said oh, what they oh, said at the time. Yes. Oh yeah, no, that was that was literally. That's what Goldwater Excuse wants. me for a moment yeah. while yeah. my bowels turn to water in in <laughs> you know realistic terror because holy shit that could happen. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, he ran for governor of California, mm-hmm. Reagan did, not Goldwater, Right. in 66, promising to, and I quote, I, I, like, I, gotta I think take, I know, I think I, gotta, I know a quote. I got to take them out. There's two of them. Yeah. Short ones. Right. Promising to, and I quote, put the welfare bums back to work. Yes. And, quote, clean up the mess at Berkeley. Yes. Okay, okay. Are you going to talk about the mess at Berkeley? No, I'm not. Okay. You, you, so you there was, fill in. There was a part of UC Berkeley that they'd kind of just left. Basically, they got like a building code enforcement and they get to build on it. But then I think funds dried up or something. Yeah. And so the land just essentially went fallow. Yeah. And people were dropping shit off. Now I know the story you're It's you're the People's Park. Yeah. And so the people like of Berkeley were like, well, let's make it a park for ourselves. And so they did. And then UC Berkeley sued that. And then they put up fencing around it, and it became an issue where the cops came out armed and shit um, to stop the people from using a park that they themselves had created on land that wasn't theirs, but it was UC Berkeley's, therefore it was kind of... Taxpayers. And, and he's like, oh, hell university. no. Yeah, we're going to yeah. destroy that. Yeah. Uh, and so he that was the mess at Berkeley. Now, putting the welfare freaks back to work, he made a speech where he said, uh, and I'm, I'm going to... Yeah, Bump. bumps, bumps. Sorry. I'll point out. Yeah. Pejorative term for you know the unemployed, right? Anybody financially right. in, in tough straits. But he made a speech where he said, um, "I saw this uh, this young man with hair down to his shoulders or something to that effect," and he said that, um, you know, they take care of you from birth to eighteen, and then again from I think it's like sixty five on, right? Mm. He said, "So you only got to worry about." this many years of making any money and you know he's like making fun of the math of that right because because then the system will take care of you at both ends and he says uh so you got a man who talks like tarzan smells like cheetah and dresses like jane everybody fucking loved it oh my god they loved it wow yeah that's when he's running for governor yeah and then as governor oh because that shit got him elected yep in 1967. He beat uh, Jerry Brown's dad, by the way. Edmund oh, yeah. Brown. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 As governor. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a Second Amendment guy. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as much as I, I think the NRA is is a batshit loony organization, mm-hmm. I am a Second Amendment guy. Mm-hmm. And this pisses me off. See, I'm a Third Amendment guy. Okay. So, this yeah. isn't my issue. Yeah, Okay. Um, he signed legislation in 1967 uh-huh. that eliminated a law yes. that allowed for open carry yes. in California. He but did this Ed, why was he doing that? Because Huey Newton and the Black Panthers mm-hmm. had been exercising their Second Amendment rights in the face of systemic police violence against their community. Over 80% of the police force in Oakland was white and they were way over patrolling black neighborhoods. Yeah. And so the Panthers basically said, you know what? If you're going to come around here and act like you can shoot us with impunity, understand mm-hmm. we we are going to exercise our rights as citizens, and mm-hmm. that might not go for you the way you think. And so that was yes. terrifying and scary. And unlike, you know, responsible, law-abiding gun owners, we, we can't have them walking around doing that because, right. you know, they're... They're black. Not, they're not white people. Yeah. yeah. And so he, he, he is the one. Yep. The post boy saint of the NRA yep. and modern conservatism is the one who eliminated open carry in California mm-hmm. because racism. Yes. Fuck that noise. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 
moving on. He ran in the Republican primaries for president in 76. Challenging Ford. Ford. And he lost by a margin I found remarkable. Yeah. Um, Being an incumbent really helps. It really helps. And then in 1980, mm-hmm. he ran again. And now we're back to my thesis. And he beat Bush, by the way. Yes. In the famous, I'm paying for this microphone speech. Yeah. And um, and then co-opted Bush Absolutely. to get the moderate wing of the party back under his wing. That's right. Bush was, was the moderate. Bush Bush was the moderate. Well, we're talking about Bush Sr. Right. But, okay, Bush Sr. had previously been the head of the CIA. Yeah. Bush Sr. had previously been... He was a party apparatchik. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I was going to say, he, he'd worked his he'd way up the party. He'd worked his way up through the party. Um, and the two of them had a compassion off, by the way. About people uh, seeking asylum from Mexico, mm-hmm. they both were like trying oh, to yeah. run, oh, run to, to the more compassionate, trying to look more open-hearted. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, this is back when the Republican Party was rightist, mm-hmm. but not bugfuck crazy fascist. Right, right, you know, I mean, yeah, they were they were they were latent low-key racist, not mm-hmm. like overtly white supremacist, like. Our current president and one of his closest advisors are now. Yes. So anyway, um, in 1980, as that election is going on, the country mm-hmm. is in really bad psychic shape. Yeah. Stagflation, mm-hmm. low growth rate combined with high inflation rates, left millions of Americans frustrated and anxious financially. And way more male deer than we'd ever seen before just standing still. Yes. Yeah. Good day. What's the time mark on that one? Uh, 55 minutes in. Jesus. Yeah. You're slipping. Eh. So in, in, in 80 itself, mm-hmm. uh, the country was in a recession mm-hmm. with negative 0.3% growth. Yep. 12.5% inflation. Yes. Which, if you don't know about inflation figures, you're like, well, 12.5%, I don't know. That's huge. It's enormous. That's, that's muggly. That's, that's everything that's, going up by an eighth. Yeah. That's nuts. That's horrible. And 7% unemployment. Mm-hmm. American embassy employees were being held hostage in Iran. Deeply traumatic situation for the nation's sense, sense of power and ability on the world stage. Mm-hmm. That had started in November 7th of 79. Mm-hmm. We'd seen the fall of Saigon only five years earlier. Right. Uh, in April of 75, the epilogue to a divisive, ugly, demoralizing war, which we had unequivocally lost. Right. Like, there was no arguing about we we, I assume, we got bled white. I assume since you're talking about Reagan, you're going to talk about Grenada? Actually, it doesn't come up. Oh, interesting. Because, because it's... it's, it's yeah, it's, that's If after. we're talking about Reagan, it'd be, yeah. it'd be important. But we're talking about the Go zit guys yeah. that led to him getting elected. Right. Uh, Nixon mm-hmm. had resigned in 74. In disgrace. In disgrace, which Be- we've discussed because he got <laughs> yeah. caught with his pants down. He got caught doing crimes. Doing crimes. Telling other people to do crimes. Telling other people to do crimes. Covering up the crimes. Covering up the crimes. Like, like at, at every level, yeah. he, he, was, he was so guilty and yeah. there was like no way he could get out from under it. Well, because the Republican Party went to him and said, hey, we need to do governance yeah. and you're bad for the party now. So, so you need we to need GTFO. you to leave yeah. uh, so that we can get back to doing to governance. Run, to, doing, to doing our job, which right. is running the country. Yeah. So he, it, as, as we discussed in your episode uh-huh. about uh, possession movies mm-hmm. uh, that left public trusted government at a historic low. Yes. There was the oil crisis of 79. Mm-hmm. There was the Three Mile Island incident also in 79. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. Salt Mm -hmm. happened in 79 because we thought we had a missile gap and the Russians were going to win the Third World War if it ever happened. We boycotted the 80 Olympics because of the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, leaving the Soviets to make an unprecedented medal haul to no answer from our own athletes. Right. National morale was at a desperately low ebb, is what I'm trying to get across. Yeah. We, we were, for the first time since the end of World War II, we were feeling powerless and threatened. And the threats 
were nebulous mm-hmm. and sorceress and the world was dark and there was all this stuff happening and for an individual citizen on the street an individual 30 year old guy mm-hmm. who was unemployed or whose job was threatened because right. the japanese were coming all of this stuff mm-hmm. There were these forces that were vague and you couldn't put your finger on them, but they left you insecure. Mm-hmm. And th- as a country... You needed a win. You needed a win. Yeah. As a country, we felt powerless. Right. I, You know, also in 1980, Han Solo gets stuck in carbonite. Yeah. Frozen. Yeah. Uh, unable to move. Impotent. Yeah. Impotent. Frozen in pain. Powerless in Luke pain. loses his hand. Yeah. Uh, the dark side is winning. Yeah. The rebels are scattered. Yeah. Uh, I never, it never occurred to me how a 1980s, how 1980 that movie was. Oh yeah. And how. Now that you pointed out. Yeah. Pattern on the wallpaper again. Yep, yep, yep. That's what it is. Yeah. It might be an episode. Yeah. Because we have At this point it has to be. Yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. So, and, and the sad part about this is, uh, Carter took Mm -hmm. the blame. He also got attacked by a swamp rabbit. Well, yeah. Okay. So it, yes. he didn't it's, look yeah, very that strong. Didn't, that didn't help. But largely undeserved. I True. Mean, I mean, and, so, and so much of this was like, I'm trying to put out so many fires at once. Right. That someone and, else... And the forces that drove all yeah. of this were not anything he, he was responsible for. And yet he took responsibility. Uh, yeah. I'm, well, I, I just because, want to say because, that again. Because the buck stopped there. He took responsibility. Yeah. And so his administration hadn't managed to get a handle on all of right. these forces that were that were lashing at our confidence. Oh, and back it up just a hair with okay, uh, yeah. speaking of swamp rabbits. Yeah. Um is <laughs> <laughs> a very aggressive hair. A very aggressive hair. Uh but uh he couldn't fight it off. Like like as an adult now, yeah. I admire him deeply. Yeah. But like dude. Dude could 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 catch a break. No, he really like, couldn't. Yeah. So anyway, but and here's the thing: he was very dovish. Oh, intensely. Okay? Um, and intensely. he, despite he, being a Navy veteran, right? Like maybe because he was a Navy probably veteran, probably because he was a Navy veteran. But he was, he, yeah, he still but, is. But he made peace between Israel and uh, Egypt. Egypt. He did that. He Camp was yeah. he was up for forty eight hours before the uh, inauguration of Reagan, um, specifically because he was trying to get the troops home or not troops the the hostages, hostages freed. Um, and Only you know to find out that you know the Reagan people had made a deal behind Bush, his back through yeah okay who yeah, who yeah, had yeah, connections yeah. with the CIA and, and a oil and company the that CIA was shown with British yeah. Petroleum and yep. yeah okay uh, yeah. yes yes fine yes. So Fine. undercut by wow! Imagine if like you know someone were to do that and it came out in real time. We'd we'd have to try them for treason. One would think. One would um, think. Yeah. One would really think. Or even after the fact, you ought to try them for treason. Yeah. So, but so, but he was dovish, and, no, and I think the fact that he was because what was it? Not a single bullet fired, not a single bomb dropped under his presidency. Yeah, during the four years he was in there's office. a four year gap of killing brown people in the world. Yes, because of Carter, that peacefulness didn't sit looked, well looked when weak. Yeah, when everyone is really anxious and, and upset. When everybody's anxious and upset, yeah. a a scared man's picture of courage. Yes. Does not look like that. A brave man's picture of peace does. Does, yeah. And that's not what we were. Yeah, and I think um, this is... We've... Wow. Yeah, so now is probably a good time to Is this your wrestling episode? This might be. Nice. This this very I've been waiting for a magnum opus. Yeah, so uh, it's (laughs) funny that it's about this and not something Tolkien related, but here we are. Um... This just caught me by the by the forelock and wouldn't let yeah. me go until I'd gotten it all out. But uh, so now that we've now that we've paused here, sure. What what do you have right now, or do you or do you want to hold off on anything until? No, I, I think I can I can definitely I see where the the pieces are falling into place. Yeah. I see because we haven't even started talking about the fucking movie. I know, yet, but I know. But Reagan is an avatar for masculinity. Oh yeah, in all of the worst possible ways. <laughs> Um, and he is a moral. 
yeah. he he is know. uh he didn't portray himself that way but he, no he was yeah but so he he well he pretended to be everything yeah well yeah. but he is amoral he is a, an opportunist um and he uh he's not graceful dude broke his leg like in six different places doing a stunt uh but which is, you know, cool, man. Like I, I've broken my nose way too many times for it to be accidental. It seems. Um, so uh, I'm kind of starting but, to think you like taking shots of the bees, or just saying I don't. I don't. Um, but, I don't think you're uh, out here for the hunting. Is what I'm but uh, Reagan is this avatar for uh, I'm going to say fragile, fragile masculinity. Um, be- it, with our with our with our, with our hindsight, looking back, yes, yeah, we, yeah. And at the time, he didn't present that at all. He no, looked no. tough cowboy Fuck and all this stuff. Oh yeah. And so I think it's yeah, interesting. That's why, I, that's, that's why I tagged. Yeah. Santa Fe Trail. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that um and and that he's in there with Errol Flynn of all people. <laughs> um, but I think it's interesting that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there is there is a certain poetry to that. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I do think it's interesting that Reagan is the president at a time where John Milius <laughs> steps onto the floor as a director, where uh Oliver Stone steps onto the floor as a screenwriter, where oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. Damn it. All sorry. Right. No, but, I grew up but, with this fucking movie. Yeah, no, I know, you know, I know, yeah. Um where uh Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Universe. Right. Yeah. Where where you have all of this appearance of hypermasculinity yeah. when in fact it's it's not. It's it's one dimensional at best and and all the pieces are lining up for these yeah. these one dimensional characters. So yeah. I just I I I'm enjoying the ride in getting okay. there and I'm starting I'm to glad, see what's coming. Glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, cool. Yeah. Um, you reading anything different from last time? Nope. Still Dune. Okay. Still, cool. still, um, trying, trying to find, I'm, 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 I'm like this, this thesis leapt out at me, you know, full oh, yeah. form like Athena from the head of Zeus. Dune is giving me a little bit of trouble because okay. it's, it's, it's a central part of the science fiction canon. Uh huh. And because of that, it's been analyzed backward, forward, left, right, center, and, sure. and trying to find an original toehold uh-huh. to get on it is is proving tough. But I, I know I know that there's so much going on there that, mm-hmm. gonna, that, that I need to find Absolutely. some way to say something about it. And, and okay. yeah. Uh, my uh, my two uh, newest purchases of Order of the Stick just came in. Nice. And so I'm, I haven't started them. But I, I, they're the I, last the, the last two installments. Okay. Uh, I don't know if they're the final installments, but they're the I most am, recent two installments. I am ye- literally years well, behind on that. When you return so. my wrestling uh, uh, book. comic book, yeah. I will I will let you borrow my oots. Okay. Uh, right. But I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with uh, Durkan. Um, I'm I'm a little tired of Belkar. He's he's fairly one dimensional. Durkan always has, has been has taken on yeah, but he was funny. Uh, Durkan has taken on an incredible uh, story arc, mm-hmm. and that's really fun to read. So I'm looking forward to that, and okay. I think I might actually kick the first volume over to my daughter. All right, because she loves her some D and D, and I think she'll get go. the jokes. I think so. So, by the Very way, cool. uh, yeah, no, actually, no, everything's been canceled. Never mind. Okay. I was going to say I was going to plug a show that and, I'm going to be on. And yeah, no, no, never mind, no. So not happening yeah, right now. If if you're listening to this and you're getting ready to go to the capital punishment at uh, the punchline, uh, it's no longer on May 22nd. It's on April 26th. Okay. So hopefully by then everything will Fingers have cleared crossed, up. Yeah. We can hope. Yeah. yeah. But right now it's scheduled for April 26th. All so right. Please uh, buy tickets and uh, you know help me keep the lights on here and uh, it'll be a good Christmas. All right. So, uh, well, for Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s.